Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Callum. And I'm Nick fucking Cage! Wow, that was uh, too much. <laughs> that was too much. Uh, I'm, I'm really Johnny. And I'm really Callum. Or are you Nick Cage? I'm Nick effing, jeffing, effing and jeffing Cage. If you say so. If you Sorry, say Rob, so. you're going to be the one that's going to have to... Um, not blow out people's eardrums with that. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. I'd just cut that whole sequence out if I was you. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we are back with another week. Just to warn all the listeners out there, this is being recorded a couple of weeks ahead, just as we're trying to get ourselves ahead on the schedule. So if there's a nuclear po- apocalypse, um, a, a terrorist attack, we haven't heard about it yet. So, yeah. Uh, good luck to you all. This may just auto-release into a void, possibly. Only to the cockroaches. Indeed. In our new flattened world. But on a brighter note, first off, we are going to talk about... We're going to ask each other a question. Um, So normally this is the point where we tell you to go and follow Untitled Film Podcast. And Yes, on the socials, you'd go on the Facebook, on the Instagram, and you'd follow that. And there'd be a question for you. Um, but this week, we are not following Untitled Film Podcast. This week, we are uh, filming two week- or recording two weeks ahead. So you have- we haven't asked you a question yet. Uh, so instead, we're going to ask each other a question. And in the theme, oh, part of the theme of this week's podcast uh, is about Nicolas Cage. So in this question, I'm going to ask you, Callum, what is your f- favourite and what is the worst Nick Cage films performances that you've seen so this is your favorite first oh gosh that's actually a really tough choice because he's i think that he's both brilliant in his wild and crazy and also in his more uh, you know subdued and oscar baity kind of stuff so oh gosh mm, uh well you know this is quite an out there choice but i think that the performance in vampire's kiss is excellently on point he's the only one who seems to get that the movie's supposed to be a comedy and so all the crazy stuff, like, I've never misfiled anything. A, B, C. You know, that whole stuff. It's perfect. He knows exactly what he's doing. But also, for just to throw in a sort of more serious, awards kind of one, I really love him in Adaptation. 
You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which is your favourite? Uh, I'm going to say adaptation. I really like the duality of him actually playing two very different roles and two very different characters and one quite understated, one quite overstated. And yeah, uh, unfortunately, you stole my idea. There are I no stolen ideas you. here. Uh, one person, two people can have the same favourite thing. But um, we didn't no, an- ask um, answer the other question, which was the worst one. Yeah. What did you think the worst one is? This could be the same as well. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I mean, it's choose one. genuinely hard to think of because I sort of do love everything about him, like, even when he's not good. Like, I mean, the, the safe answer would be the Wicker Man. So I think I'm just going to go for the Wicker Man just because I, I, I find some of the kind of other performances where people say, oh, that's the worst Nicolas Cage, evs, evs, evs. And it's like, I think a bit, like, don't throw things at me, you bloody person. Um, but no, I, I really like Crazy Nick, and that's the one. So actually, no, I'll, I'll change it to something like um, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, because he's just cashing in a check there. Because at least with uh, The Wicker Man, it doesn't work, but he's trying something. He's trying to be out there, just trying to be crazy, and it's a bit too safe. So I'll just go for one of his... Clearly bored, cashing in a paycheck, not really interested. So the sort, let's say the source is, is apprentice. Even that's not terrible. Yeah, I, I kind of would agree. Like, I mean, there's there's bad, bad Nicholas Cage, but normally bad, bad Nicholas Cage is him trying, and it's the phoning in Nicholas as that uh, as Mark Cabrera once put it, the horse face phoning in Nicholas Cage, which is the uh, <laughs> the worst one. And I think that was for the knowing, and I think that's what I'm going to say is my worst Nicholas Cage performance because he's just like. The, uh, the numbers I know and things and what where's my money? It just feels like that. There um, are a series <laughs> of uh, Nicolas Cage performances in the second sort of National mid, Treasure movie. Yeah, mid two thousands where he just clearly Ghost Rider one wasn't. He didn't care. I like the fact as well. He was like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not working with Disney anymore. No, Disney's not having you anymore, Nicholas. Like you just might now. In. Now that he's having his comeback, I'm sure True. they will eventually. True. And that brings us on. So what to nicely to our films of the week. What films are we going to be talking about this week, Callum? We are going to be talking about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is the ironic uh, Nicolas Cage film where he plays himself as a sort of down-on-his-luck actor. And there is a link, there is a link to the other movie that we're going to be watching, the slightly older one, which is Paddington 2. Again, slightly. We've had a couple of weeks of this. But, but I do you think we should save it for the review as to why... They link? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, but let's not spoil that because it is good fun. Well, let's not spoil it until we spoil it a bit later. Absolutely. And yes, with that, uh, let's go into Z News. <laughs> so what is your first piece of news this week, Callum? Hang on, I'm just getting enough. I've forgotten now. Um, so there is going to be a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Now, if you're confused and think, hang about, wasn't there already a sequel called Dawn of the Dead and then Day of the Dead and then uh, then Land of the Dead and then the remakes and then um, all the other stuff? Well, this is going to be Night of the Living Dead 2, not to confuse anyone. So it's um, a hot AFM package for buyers to gnaw on. Night of the Living Dead sequel from Village Roadshow, Vertigo, Westbrook and George Romero's Sanibel Studios. So... They are officially going to be making a film that follows directly on from Night of the Living Dead rather than just being... I, and I suppose it makes sense in a way because Dawn of the Dead's 
takes place within the same universe, but it's a completely different story. And Day of the Dead is a completely different story. They're kind of taking place within this same zombie apocalypse in completely different pockets of America. So I presume the gist I get from this article is that they're going to be following directly on as soon as Night of the Living Dead ended, 1968. The story is going to follow on straight from there. So it is going to be a direct sequel. But it does sound like beating a dead horse, this. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like George Romero's widow is cashing in. And, you know, good luck to her. Because, you know, her husband is not around anymore. He can't make the films. So why not? You know, you know, make that money while you still can, I say. Fair enough. Fair enough. And what about you? What's your first bit of news? So my first piece of news is a TV series, but from a movie director uh it is a, there is a new series that's going to be on peacock called poker face have you seen anything about this i've seen the trailer yes uh, it is natasha leone is the lead character who i love uh and she is someone who can tell if someone's lying uh and it's kind of a murder mystery directed by mr ryan johnson who of uh of um uh Glass Onion and uh, Knives Out and Star Wars, Wars. The Last Jedi and a bunch of other yeah, really nifty many things. Films. But obviously with the uh, whole Knives Out series very much in that kind of murder mystery vibe at the minute. And the trailer looks excellent, full of lots of big names. And yeah, I'm quite excited for it. I understand that it's harking back to Columbo and murder mysteries of the week where every week there's going to be a, a famous baddie. And you know, it's obvious who the baddie's going to be because he's the only name you know. Uh, it's going to be one of those things like Columbo, like, oh, well, it's obviously that guy. You saw him at the start, and he's the only one played by um, Leonard Nimoy or whoever it might be, or Johnny Cash that week. And this, this is a little synopsis for it. So, Leone stars is Charlie Cali, uh, who has an extraordinary ability to determine whether someone is lying. She hits the road with her Plymouth Barracuda, and with every stop encounters a new cast of characters and strange crimes she can't help but solve. Exciting. Sounds really fun. Yeah, I'm quite excited for it. So that's piece of news number one. And for yourself, what is piece of news number dos? Well, this is a bit of a mixed bag for me because I don't like the director, but I do like the story. Um, so Henry Cavill and Isa G- Gonzalez to lead Guy Ritchie's World War II action spy pick. <laughs> exactly. Um, Guy Ritchie. <laughs> Guy Ritchie is very boring, but it's uh, about the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Have you heard of these people? No. It was a spy network in the Second World War, led by a very colourful cast of characters. Uh, it was um, you had uh, Winston Churchill knew about it, but also Ian Fleming um, was part of it. They they recruited people who were slightly well known. It's before he became famous. Christopher Lee was a um, Nazi hunter for this group, so there was a real group of Nazis, super spies, like super 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 spies. These were the hot cool spies that you sent in, and you can understand maybe where Ian Fleming who later went on to write the James Bond series, perhaps got the idea of a super, super, super spy. And these guys were just like uh, Inglorious Bastards, but English. They were Nazi killers. They they weren't messing about. They weren't hiding in trees and waiting to report back. They were waiting to jump out of the tree, slit throats. These were bad dudes. And I've heard about this story before. Well, Christopher Lee spoken about it um, in interviews. Ian Fleming spoke about it. And... It's just such a shame that it's Guy Ritchie doing it, because I really do love this story. He's also pairing with uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who's producing. And I think the idea is, if it's a hit, it's going to be a new series for him. He really wants to make this his next sort of franchise. 
So I like the story. I like Henry Cavill. I like Isaac Gonzalez. I, I really love the bit of history. Mm, Guy Ritchie. It's like he, yeah, I feel like he's looked at the Kingsman and gone, mm, I want a franchise like that. Although, let's be honest, the Kingsman seem to have petted out into nothingness now. Unfortunately, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, poor, poor old Taron, although I think he's got enough things going for him, so it's not the end of the world. I think he's fine. I think he's got what he needed from uh, Kingsman, and now he's off doing his own thing. Absolutely. And then the uh, my second piece of news is... What are you doing? Tom Hanks is back on SNL as David Pumpkins. I'm David Pumpkins, man. So two weeks late, you'll be getting this news. But if anyone liked the David Pumpkins sketch from SNL, which I always find like genius but also awful at the same time it like lives in that weird land of good and bad at the same time he's back doing pretty much exactly the same sketch but with some of the new cast it's always good fun always good to see him there so yeah timely news there it will be it's hot timely news today because we have our fingers on the pulse we are recording it the day after that happened but yes, just, you'll you be listening be... to it about 10 days after it happens. I really so. apologise for anyone who's downloaded this. <laughs> anyway, on to the movies. Oh, it's the magic. Well, the magic may happen. So, what is our first movie, Callum? It is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays himself. He's at the a low ebb in his career. It's probably taken around the time where he was doing all those straight-to-DVD films. He can't get a job for Love Nor Money. His agent is played by Neil Patrick Harris. And they think that kind of the last resort, because he's kind of wasted all these other opportunities. Uh, No one really wants to put him in his movies. He's just kind of burnt too many bridges. But there is a superfan on an island uh, played by Pedro Pascal. And, you know, people aren't sure what this guy's about. He thinks he's just this kind of cool um guy he doesn't know he knows that he's super rich he knows he's willing to pay him uh several million dollars to attend his birthday party but he just doesn't think much more about it until he realizes that maybe this uh guy played by pedro pascal is maybe a bit more dangerous than he seems and an adventure which is both funny and exciting starts off for nicholas cage at a low point in his life and so johnny what did you think of the unbearable weight of massive talent I liked it. <laughs> Very conservative. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was very well acted. I think it's probably just the thing that Nicolas Cage needs at this point in his career. Um, he's obviously had Mandy and Pig and stuff that have kind of rebuilt his indie cred, and this is a little bit higher budget and uh, stars Pedro and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's you know, I think it, it works really well from that point of view. Uh, it's very funny. It's very meta. Uh, points like really matter there's some bits in it where they're basically describing what's going to happen later in it into this film they're writing and you almost can't pull out the film they're writing within the film and the film that you're watching um pedro pascal is really good uh, as ever is really good fun um and i think it let him play a bit of a lighter role as well um and yeah really enjoyed his character some great little cameos um really great cast all round very well written, very well funny. Um, the direction's pretty plain. I wouldn't say there's anything particularly special about the direction. Um, but no, I think overall it's 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 a funny, meta, 
silly movie that's the kind of thing that would you know it's his jcvd or something the kind of thing that kind of helps would help someone's career who maybe had gone the wrong direction for a little bit this certainly is the kind of movie that an actor needs when they have hit a slump because like you said he he's had a few indie hits but in order to get a proper comeback going you sort of need to do the one film where you are a bit self-deprecating like a Mel Gibson keeps trying to make that movie, but no one's paying to see Mel Gibson in the movie for love nor money. Um, but Nicolas Cage is someone that people like, and he he was kind of in the right place at the right time. He'd done the indie movies. He's clearly on an upswing, and he needed a studio film, especially a studio comedy, where he got to sort of set fire to that image that he'd been cultivating in this straight-to-DVD of the screaming Nicolas Cage, like we made fun of at the start. I'm Nick fucking cage um it's funny that you should mention <laughs> i love the way you went Nick cage. fucking cage uh, it's funny you should mention saturday night live because if there's a problem with these kinds of movies and there's been several movies um like this like i mentioned mel gibson he was in a film called the beaver which was his attempt at oh, doing yeah. the self-deprecating image of uh look here's mel gibson but we're setting fire to the image of mel gibson they're always stretch themselves to fit a 90 to two hour running time and it does at times feel like maybe this film should have been a sketch comedy tv show or a sketch on that saturday night live at times it's just a bit too thin for the material given and there's two examples i can think of these films tend to be action comedies and you said that the direction is flat and it is Direction that's flat doesn't so much matter for spoken comedy, because if the people are funny enough, then that will carry it. And it does in the bits where Pedro and Nicholas are chatting with one another. They're fine. It's very funny, very amusing. But when it gets to the action part, it's just any other kind of dull action comedy with not very well-directed action. And that's at least half an hour of the movie. And yeah. especially towards the end. It doesn't. Lo- it almost looks like the Sweeney or something like Nick what if his name is directed? oh uh, nick love yeah nick love kind of lazily directed action that the action feels tacked on it's there as part of the joke it's not there for any reason we're actually if it wanted to really elevate itself as a movie it would have um nailed that too it, it does get to a point where you get to about 45 minutes in and then the film sort of starts to bleed out and lose any kind of the charm that it had been coasting on is starting to peter out. But the charming, the Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal are charming enough individuals that mm-hmm. for the 45 minutes where it is chatting, it is good. Another area where it feels like it's just stalling for time to get to a 90-minute runtime is there are these um, hallucinations where he's talking to a younger version of himself. Yeah, And that, that that's the fellow that says, I'm Nick fucking Cage. Um, and it's done with that sort of creepy... Um, uh, technology where you can put a younger face onto an actor and it never quite looks good. It, it lo- He looks weird and pasty as they always do like uh, Robert De Niro in The Irishman or anytime they've tried this technology. I forget the name of it. Oh, Deepfake. Yeah. Deepfake technology. Um, it, it just looks a bit off. So the film has a good 45 minutes in it uh, where it's Pedro, who's the internet's, or was at least in t- 2020, the internet's boyfriend um, and Nicolas Cage the internet's granddads, uh, you know, two lovable figures that the uh, that millennials unironically love, but also ironically love in in a completely different way. Um, kind of setting fire to this public image 
that we've all had a good giggle at in the past. We've all made fun of Nicolas Cage. We've all made fun of screaming Nicolas Cage. And then the film just starts to limp to the finish line and it, it can't quite, it really does stumble towards the end. Yeah, it, it it also becomes too obvious at points. So you, you keep thinking it's going to zag when it zigs or vice versa and stuff. And then it just zigs when it zigs and it zags when it zags. And you're like, oh, okay, that was the obvious thing to happen in this moment. Um, and yeah, and there's meant to be, there's a point at the end, which is meant to be maybe quite emotional and quite kind of drive the plot along. And you kind of just don't really care. I don't really care about certain characters in it. And some of the, um, uh, some of the, kind of bits that are meant to push the story along all feel very kind of like thrown in to push the story along because otherwise it's just like Pedro Pascal and, and Nicolas Cage like falling in love with each other basically. And I would have watched that. Yeah, I'd have watched that. But still it's not I think maybe they should have done an hour and a half of that instead of an hour and fifty minutes or something else. Yeah. And I do think that I kind of there were bits that I kind of zoned out of a little bit. The whole crime subplot about Pedro Pascal is he dodgy is he not dodgy is he in league with these gangsters is he not Mm. I couldn't care less I I would have preferred it if he was just an eccentric rich person who was obsessed with Nicolas Cage that would have been better but I also kind of feel the same whole thing with the daughter storyline and things and then uh, again this is the new movie so we can't give too much away but they try and make that as a plot point towards the end of the movie and it just doesn't quite work in my mind. And I um, do yeah. wonder if Nicolas Cage just saw this as a stepping stone because it does feel like it's a, it's a stepping stone it's to get him back in the studio films, which he is now. He's been cast in Universal's uh, Renfield, playing mm-hmm. Dracula, and I think he's got a few other things in the pipeline where that aren't straight-to-DVD films, and I wonder if this was the kind of... He needed a thing like this. He need, he'd done the indies, he needed to do a studio comedy to get back into proper studio films. I wonder if this was the film that was just a way of him going, okay, set fire to the public image. That sounds fun. I'll do that. Mm, Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is one of those kind of weird, like, yeah, you know, one of those outlier movies that is a little bit, his agent went, read the script and said, this is good. I think the interview I saw, said he knew the director before anyway, and the director wrote the part for him, which I suppose you have to do with a movie like this. And he was like, yes, this is probably what I need to be doing right now and, and yeah and, and the rest is history and it is fun um I watched it on a plane shockingly because that's my life um and yeah it was a very plain movie it worked perfectly on a plane uh when someone was serving me lunch say and you'd be like if I miss 10 minutes of it well I'm sorting that out it's not the end of the world and, and things um and yeah that's probably how how I would look at it but no it was good fun um well acted good little fun storyline but maybe doesn't have the staying power for however long it is and it certainly pales in comparison to something like jcvd which was a bit more serious in its uh, approach to how it killed the image of and the ego of a of a certain mr jean-claude van damme yeah this one was a bit more cuddly towards nicholas cage yeah absolutely i would agree and whereas obviously those two were both quite self-referential i suppose um with sly's kind of trying to come back thing the expendables actually that was you know was more of a movie pretty terrible movie but more (laughs) of a movie whereas this is kind of like a weird meta thing like you kind of alluded to if it was a 10 minute snl sketch it probably that's probably how it would work best or absolutely i I don't know how it would work as a 45 minute tv program but a 45 minute tv program that's how it would work best and it was a bit weird that it was quite a long movie but yeah yeah it was fun 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And why is it that we're going to be talking about Paddington 2 in relation to the unbearable weight of massive talent? Well, there is a conversation in the movie. Uh, what are your, what's your favourite movie? Uh, and one of the movies that Pedro's character comes up with is Paddington 2 which he forces Nicolas Cage to watch and Nicolas Cage falls in love with. Absolutely. As all good humans do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, absolutely. The number one movie of all time, according to Rotten Tomatoes, from a critic's reviewing point of view. It slit the throat of Citizen Kane and left it for dead. Absolutely. And, yeah. I guess we'll be needing a plot summary sometime this decade. Well, well maybe I'll think about it. But first, I want to ask you, Callum, <laughs> what is your favourite movie of all time and why? Oh, God, I hate <laughs> questions like that. Um, it's When Harry Met Sally. Wow, it's and why? the perfect screenplay. It is the perfect romantic comedy. It's funny, it's witty, it's intelligently told. Um, the two characters have a lot of chemistry and it's um, uh, spread out over many years and each kind of plot point is separated by this kind of fake interview with an older couple and with each of the older couples talk about how they were separated for a long time and then they met later on in life and it's just it's sweet it's funny it's romantic it's the perfectly written script it's perfectly acted and because i'm a horror fan uh, a lot of times i try to tell people that my favorite film oh yeah it's, it's robocop yeah yeah it's robocop which is in my top 10 but if I, I'm actually honest with myself, it's absolutely when Harry's met Sally. Not a question about it. What about yourself? Wouldn't you like to know? So, Paddington <laughs> 2. Bastard. The story of a bear. No, I'll, I'll tell you. It's probably Doctor Strange Love. Um, great choice. I, it is incredibly well acted by Peter Sellers. Great script. Um, do you notice that I said The Shining was my favourite? Yes, this your favourite Kubrick. Horror film. I, I'm a massive Kubrick fan. I love his direction. Um, but yeah, I think it's really well shot. Uh, Peter Sellers is great in playing all the multiple characters. And I just really like that hard-biting political satire because I I love the thick of it. I love that. That's, that's kind of my jam. Um, so yeah, I think it, it works. It's quite serious, but also hilarious, visually stunning. It did, it did a lot of things that kind of, it was the first to, to do them and stuff as well. So no, really love Doctor Strange Love, but you could ask me another day and I'll say Apocalypse Now and you ask me another day and I'll say something. There's lots of... That's the thing. I hate questions movies. like this. Yeah. Which is actually one of the points in the movie that, <laughs> that Nicolas Cage says. Yes, he does. Um, but yeah, so no, uh, absolutely. Let's move on. So, Paddington Doss. Yes. So why, Callum, first off, are we not talking about Paddington 1? 
Paddington one is very good. It's excellent. It's very funny. It sets up the kind of whole family dynamic of the Browns and Paddington very well. And it's very good. You know, it's a, I'd give it an eight out of 10 on any good day. And, um, you know, it's a very solid franchise starter. I watch it any day of the week. Paddington 2, however, is perfect. It (laughs) is one of the best films this decade. Um, I will not debate people about this. Last decade now. Last decade. Oh, yes. Gosh. Yeah. How time moves. Um, But of the decade it was released, it is one of the best, if not the best, of that decade. It's perfect in every way. And I will hurt people if they say (laughs) otherwise. Yeah. So, synopsis. Paddington 2, he's a bear. In Paddington 1, he arrived in London town. Still is a bear. Still is a bear. Uh, From deepest, darkest Peru. Uh, He's sent there by his... uh, Grandmother and grandfather, I want to say. No, it's Uncle Pazuzu oh, and, and uh, aunt. aunt and his aunt. Yeah, uh, sent yeah sent by his uncle and aunt to London Town because Peru's not safe. I can't remember. There's a reason. Uh, I think it's originally was a metaphor for kids that were sent to London or sent away from London in the war. Uh, and he turns up in Paddington Station. Uh, he's not called Paddington at the time. Uh, has a little uh, little tag on him saying, "Please, will someone adopt me?" And he, the Brown family, turn up and, and adopt him and. Because they found him in Paddington Station, they call him Paddington, the bear. And hijinks ensues. He loves marmalade. He likes marmalade sandwiches. He likes the browns. And doesn't really understand our our modern indoor human ways of life. Uh, And he has, yeah, incredible hijinks in the first movie. In the second movie, he's now gotten into London life. You know, he knows everyone. He's... He's like top dog of the street, top bear, some would say. And <laughs> boom, uh, boom. <laughs> friends with all of the other critters and people around and uh, everyone but um Oh Mr. Curry. Is that Mr. Curry? That's uh, dog, Peter Capaldi. Yeah, Peter yeah. Capaldi who doesn't like that bear. Don't trust him. Don't trust bears. Don't like things that don't come from around these parts. Um, but other than that, everyone on the street loves him. And then they go to a beautiful mechanical steam fair. And who should be at this mechanical steam fair? It is an old actor played by Hugh Grant, stretching himself very far there, playing an old actor. And this actor is up to something. Um, he is trying to find uh, this hidden gold that supposedly was something to do with his family in the past. And young Paddington may have that key in this book that he's been saving up for to show to his um, aunt, what's her name? Um, I, I forgot the name of the aunt. I know it's Uncle Pazuzu, but the aunt slips Pazuzu, my yes. But anyway, yeah. Sends it to, he wants to send this book to his aunt to show her what London town is really like. But is framed for its robbery. Bom, bom, bom. And ends up in prison with Knuckles McGinty. And then the story goes on from there. That's my synopsis. That's very well told. Yeah, <laughs> we, we got there in the end. Um, I was thinking was at some two point. Whole movies. I first. was thinking. Uh, well, that's a good synopsis of Paddington One. Are we going to be um, talking about Paddington Two at any point? <laughs> um, but no, the thing that works about this movie is it. It's so light-footed. It has a, a very um, um, kinetic energy to it. Like uh, in the opening, there's quite a long tracking shot of when Paddington leaves the house and meets all of his friends on the street, and he 
interacts with one of them, each one of them. Who kind are all of, pretty much British character actors or comedians. Yeah, yeah so you have uh, people like uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar and, and uh, Robbie Gee and you know, a bunch of people that you've seen a lot. If you watch a lot of British TV or movies, you've seen pretty much all of these people. Uh, ben Mills is another one and Jessica Hines. And there's a, it's a, quite a long tracking shot and the whole film skips along with this kind of very high energy. And if anything, that's probably one of the ways in which it improves on the first Paddington, which, again, was very fun and had a lot of energy. But I think um, the director is Paul King, and I think he um, kind of upped the ante for this one in terms of like uh, the energy that I have for the first one. I'm going to double it for this one. And the whole film has this very light-footed, adventurous feel to it. Like every scene, like you said he wants to buy this pop-up book from his friend who runs a antique shop. Played by? Played by Jim Broadbent. Exactly. British uh, character actor. Yes, another British character actor. Um, he needs £50 for it, so he starts doing odd jobs. He uh, works for a barber and hijinks ensue. Cleans a window, cleans hijinks windows, ensue. Hij- hijinks ensue. But every one of them is directed with this kind of like, every scene is directed with this idea of how can we wring a laugh or two out of the audience and make it a good-natured laugh. It isn't, like last week we reviewed uh, the film The Bad Guys, which is for children, and it had a little bit of an identity crisis of let's talk about Tarantino, let's do a reference to Tarantino here, and then add a fart joke here, which is how most children's films and family films do it. It's like, let's put in something for dad and something for the kids. Well, here is a film that does everything for everyone. It's just, if you like slapstick comedy and well-directed, well-acted slapstick comedy, then you're going to like this film and you're going to like the energy that it brings to it. And um, yes, uh, it just has wonderful energy. Yeah, it, I, I completely agree. It, there's a great line Pedro Pascal's character in in it says in, in the it, it, in the unbearable mass, weight of massive, massive talent, talent whatever it's called stupid little name. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, there's a moment in it where he Pedro Pascal's character goes, "It made me want to be a better person," and it is that you watch Paddington, you're like, "Oh my god, if I could be like this bear, I'd be the greatest person who's ever lived." Like he's just so nice and he's the best of all of us and he just sees the best in everyone and you know there's a moment in it when Paddington loses hope and I lose hope I lose hope in society I think it's also just a really lovely representation of like London and in kind of like that's the London I'd like to live in like just really like friendly multicultural where people all get along and colorful and happy and everyone loves life and if someone doesn't love life this little bear will come in and make them love life and that is, you know, the best. It's also, uh, this film is just a way, you know, you talk about this film with anyone in the world and you've made a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, recent experience, I have, um, during kind of lockdown and uh, later on, I went on a website. It's like a pen pals website just because I was bored. I needed something to do while everyone was in, indoors. And uh, so I started sending a few messages out to kind of, you know, people, pen pals for the hopes and like, it's all random chit chat for the longest time. It's like, oh yeah, how, how is it over in your part of the world? And then eventually, um, I noticed that she'd been to London and had a bunch of Paddington stuff because real Anglophile. And I just said, oh, you love Paddington too? You you love Paddington as well? Yeah, I love Paddington as well. And like you said, it makes people want to be a better a better person. It has a similar thing. One of my favorite movies is the 1975 Richard Donner Superman. Um, and where and you know you watch Superman, you think if I could be more like that wouldn't the world be lovely and sweet? And this is another thing. It, it's a film that's so lovely that, you know, anywhere you go in the world, it's, it's international currency. 
you just have to say Paddington 2 <gasps> Paddington 2 yes Paddington 2 Paddington 2 Paddington 2 that's a conversation right there and I've made friends I've made a friend because of this movie and you know that's just the wonderful thing so few movies have that charm yeah absolutely the other thing that I want to say is it's really well shot it's beautiful. beautiful. Like it looks like a bit like a Wes Anderson movie, but maybe slightly more dare I say colourful, colourful and kinetic. And yeah. Wes Anderson is more kind of um, stilted, stilted deliberately. So yeah, exactly. And it, but it's kind of got that kind of storybook feel, but it's everything kind of glows and like a great example. Talking about the, the steam fair, the way that everything there is done and the way it's all lit so well all the costumes and, and every kind of character is, is is as you'd expect them like some of the costumes and some of the clothes that um that um hugh grant's actor character wears are just amazing um there's a whole plot point in it with him where he now does dog food commercials and has to dress up as a dog <laughs> and it's just genius like the costume he wears is so perfect and it's so funny and all the acting is kind of over the top but it is such a good way and just the, thing, the, the way the prison is directed and shot and 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 um oh Gleason as as Donald Gleason not Donald no, no uh, Brendan Brendan Gleason Donald's the son uh, old uh Don uh, I guess <laughs> Brendan Gleason is <laughs> kind of shot and you know the the just the the kind of um uh, kind of close-up shots of people's faces and the reactions and and how it kind of the colors and the lighting changes as people's mood changes and it just works on every level and i don't think and this is a something i never say about a film it's like the perfect length there's not a minute wasted but there's not a minute too short either <laughs> it's like everything about it this film is just perfect it's flawless and uh you know it's also extensive the writing it's a lot of very witty wordplay uh especially with um the character of knuckles oh you don't do nothing for nobody for nothing and uh or the bit where knuckles is introducing himself oh, paddington's introducing knuckles and the gang because he, everywhere he goes paddington makes friends even like these hardened criminals and he's introducing the gang it's like yeah. this is <laughs> knuckles jimmy the snitch uh two bob johnny did did, 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 and sir jeffrey wilcott i hope you can re- i can rely on your votes yeah so that, who would come up with that <laughs> And it's just perfect. It's like such a British kind of thing. That's like every British prison's got a Tory MP who's been in the sex scandal or stolen some money in there, surely. And and, um, we haven't mentioned uh, Hugh Grant much. Um, This is a film similar to Nicolas Cage in The Unbearable Ways of Massive Talent. Um, Recently, Hugh Grant has been reinventing himself as a sort of um, weirdo character actor. Uh, It's not just Paddington 2, but it's been about half a decade of, of stuff that's come out where he's been doing the best work of his career. And he's always incredibly enjoyable. It's always incredibly enjoyable. But here, he's just taking it by the reins. So if I'm going to be a villain in a family film, I am going to be a villain. And he he's smug and, and self-entitled. And he has these sequences where he goes up to his attic because he's an actor. He has all these old costumes. And he does the voices for each of them. Like, <laughs> ah, and Poirot, like, oh, don't you do that. Oh, oh, oh be quiet, um, this character. Oh, but you can't. Oh, but you can't do that. Be quiet, Macbeth. It's like who would come up with this dialogue, like other than a genius? And it's just such a shame that Paul King, because he's um, moving on to other films, he's directing the Willy Wonka prequel. Um, the third film is not going to be directed by Paul King. And but he I am is a still staying on as producer he and is. co-writer. I he, think. he is, I believe, he is. Yes, with uh, Simon Farnaby um, is the co-writer. And Simon Farnaby, you might know, he's one of the writing team for. Horrible, horrible histories. histories and ghosts yeah and 
an incredibly funny guy as part of a very funny writing troupe. Um, and any screenplay... Stop that luscious nun. <laughs> Stop that stunning sister! That's it. Stop that stunning sister! <laughs> <laughs> and he's an incredibly funny man. He's an incredibly funny writer. You've seen him in a bunch of British comedies over the years. Yeah. But he, Horrible Histories had a similar a thing to Paddington where when Paddington first came out, people said, this film is not going to be a big hit. You know, it's going to be fine for kids. And it was brilliant. And the same with um, Horrible Histories. It was it went above and beyond. And it's one of those kids' comedy TV shows that is just the, considered the highest of the highest regards because of its wit and uh, its writing and its inventiveness. He brings that same charm to it. And Paul King, as the director, um, escalates that charm. Yeah. Uh, he, the comic timing's perfect. The acting's perfect. And we still, there's so many people we haven't talked about, like uh, Hugh Bonneville mm-hmm. and Ben Warshaw and Sally. Oh, uh, Sally Hawkins. Oh, Sally Hawkins, can't remember her last name then. Uh, you know, and they all act their roles perfectly and are hilarious and have great jokes as well. And yeah, it, just there's so many little, and it's very good. It's very good at kind of leaving a little crumb of something here, a setup, and yes. you're not really even noticing it's a setup. And then, 45 minutes later, it coming and out and being important. Hugh Bonneville's character has a few great ones. Of that's those, just it? great screenwriting. Yeah. It's so underrated as a skill to set set up and pay off. Mm-hmm. Set up and pay off. It's so necessary, but people don't notice it until it happens. Yeah. It always reminds me of that Bojack joke in one of the seasons where there's all these strainers in a... Um, uh, in a Mr. Peanut Butter buys all these, like like pasta strainers for some reason <laughs> and they just sat in the house and he keeps mentioning i can't remember why i bought these but the long the the, the longer the joke the bigger the payoff <laughs> and literally through the whole season they keep getting mentioned and then in the last episode there's a big payoff and it, it, it is obviously that's very signposting it and very screenwritery but it's that kind of it, it does do that incredibly well i'd also like to say the animation of paddington's perfect like it Obviously, it's not huge budget, these movies. I think, what, maybe $60 million Within that sort of range, yeah. And in that budget, you can go so wrong and try and either make it too photorealistic or too cartoony, so it doesn't make sense. They've managed to get that balance just right. There's no moments in it where you think, oh, they've had to rush that bit of animation. Like, the way his eyes are done is so perfect. That's the... He tells a lot through his eyes about what mood he's in and how he's feeling, and, and that's done so well. And that's something that's so often done terribly for um, animation too yeah it, so it has to be perfect. wet it has to be puffy depending on the scene there's a lot of jokes that um uh, like um please mr gruber be serious and he's got puffy fur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it is there's some there's some really just it's just so wholesome and nice and you just don't get this very often in movies it's just i love it it puts a spring in your step it makes you want to wear your hat at a jaunty angle it makes you want to dance down the street and say good morning to all the strangers that you meet. Yeah. It was quite interesting. Originally, um, who was going to... It was going to be... going to be Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. voicing Paddington, which would have... He doesn't have that kind of youthful wonder about him. Whereas Ben Wershaw can, can do that youth... Wershaw, sorry. can do that youth, youthful yes. wonder yes, he has so a, well. a sense of awe to everything he sees and does. Yeah, he really does. And it... it, it and, wow kind of vibe and the emotional payoff too because of course the whole thing is set up around buying this joke uh, this joke this book for his mum sorry his aunt jeez 
Um, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> and he can't get it. And Speaking he, of payoffs. And he, he doesn't get it in time. And then, because this is a spoiler episode, there's a knock at the door. And who is it? Oh, my God. It makes me want to cry. Not a dry eye in the house. F- followed by the best, fuck Marvel, the best post-credit scene of all time. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the rain on the roof go clip, clippy clap, clip, clippity clap. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just amazing. Perfect. Everything about it it's is a perfect just movie. So perfect. And just like us, Hugh Grant's character needed a captive audience. <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. Yeah, I think, I think probably otherwise, otherwise we're just going to be like us going, I love it. Oh, so I love it. It's so good. It's amazing. So, unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, out of ten, fortunately, um, despite the, the the efforts of Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage, I'm going to give it a four out of ten. It really does bleed out, kind of long before it should, and when it does bleed out, it just becomes an uninteresting action comedy that's just a bit dull. I think I liked it more than that. Um, maybe because I watched it on a plane, and I kind of it's plane level movie. I just like the idea and the story and stuff. But like you say, I think the last half hour, 45 minutes, it got a bit lazy. Um, didn't stick to the shtick, so we say. Um, I'm going to give it a six. Maybe that's generous, but I, I'm feeling generous today. So I guess <laughs> give it a six. That gives it overall five out of ten. Yep. Um, between the two of us. And Paddington 2. Well, zero. No, it's ten out of ten. It's perfect. <laughs> it's it's one of the best movies of the decade, probably in my, very high in my favourite movies, just generally. If I had to make a ranking list, it's probably within the top 30 or 40. It's just perfect. It's a perfect film. Um, 10 out of 10, everything about it is wonderful. I, too, am going to give it 10 out of 10. It is one of my favourite movies of all time. Uh, <laughs> that's not hyperbole, like it generally is. Yeah. It's one of those... I have a list of those movies that aren't... Some of them aren't always that highly rated like high fidelity and things but a kind of movie that if i'm in a bad mood whatever i would put on and it's in that list but actually it's still like amazing it's still so well done um i can understand why it's the highest rated movie of all time on rotten tomatoes because of the way that rotten tomatoes works it's if it gets a positive review it gets you know it, it doesn't matter what the percentage of the positive review is and if you were to give it an a negative review you'd be a moron so i think that the whole world doesn't want to be a moron so um i think everyone i've ever known who's ever seen it has loved it i think it's one of those films that people watch over and over again and it's it's rare you say it you say it maybe some pixar movies and things but it's perfect family entertainment there's bits that grand will laugh at there's bits that 30 year olds will laugh at parents there's bits that but that's the wonderful thing it's 15 year olds are laughing everyone's laughing at the same bits exactly it's not um, put a godfather joke in for dad put a fart joke in for the kids put in this bit for mum it's just it's just good it's clean just, everything fun. is good everything yeah. is perfect about it and then there's the occasional thing that's like like the uh, I hope you'll have my vote uh, and stuff <laughs> like that, that that are maybe more skewed at parents or there's bits about grumpy teenagers that are more the grumpy teenagers and embarrassing parents and all, you know and there's different bits that maybe lean towards each other but everyone still can find funny um, and they didn't cost much to make, and they make a load of money, which which proves the quality of them. And this film, it really is international currency. I say, if you're ever somewhere in the world 
and you're with someone and the conversation isn't going well, just say Paddington 2 and you'll have a friend for life. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I, I can't remember who it was, but they were doing talking about the Home Alone remake last Christmas on Conan's podcast. Yes. And whoever it was on there, they were talking about, oh, it's really good family fun. And they, it, but they, <laughs> I don't know how the conversation got there. They were like, yeah, but it's no Paddington 2. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not Paddington 2. <laughs> Nothing is Paddington 2. <laughs> And I've seen, like, multiple people talking about it on, like, late-night talk shows. Like, it's one of those things that people just know. If you if you like films at all, or you have kids, or you have a family, and you just mention the words Paddington 2, people are like, oh, my God, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the difference between Paddington 1 and 2. 1 is really well done. It's funny. Um, but I think that kind of the... They, they've managed to just tighten it up that little bit. They've obviously got a little bit more money to play with, so the direction is slightly better. And then I think, uh, sorry to uh, Kieran Knightley, but Hugh Grant is just the best oh, bad um, guy. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, sorry. Uh, she's but, fine. She's serviceable. Yeah, but she's maybe just not that. She's and just it's that not her. Thing. Yeah, it's, you know, the writing for her character and things is just so-so. Whereas, yeah, the writing for um, for Hugh Grant is amazing and what he does with it is amazing. My God, he's a weirdo. <laughs> so, yeah, that is us uh, crooning for about Paddington 2 for a good 15, 20 minutes there. <laughs> So, on that massive piece of Go Watch, if you haven't seen Paddington 2, get and watch it now. If you have seen you Paddington 2, with get and watch it now. If you haven't watched Paddington 2. And uh, go have some fun at Coconut Shy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Listen to the rain on the roof, go clip, clippy clap, clip, clippity clap.